Men's Troubled listeners, welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in the safe house with my co-host, the original Troubled Man for Troubled Times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Thank you, Renee. Thank you very much. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm glad we were able to pull this all together. Um, getting it together. Getting it together. Well, you know, we, we, we should explain right up top that, you know, normally we're at the ring room, but the ring room is unavailable. The ring room is no more. Well, it's... That's the a, ring room is gone. <laughs> <laughs> to the nation... O- Olympus has fallen. Yeah, it's gone. It's, um, well, it's it suffers, uh, suffered a severe attack. Oh, okay. So, uh... Well, we had the, we had the Hard Rock uh, Hotel collapse right in downtown New Orleans. Right next door it's, to it's, our famous it, ring room. Yes, it's very, it's very close by. To our the beloved ring room. Ring room. Our beloved ring room. But, and so uh, at first it looked like we were going to be okay, but then they extended the danger zone, the, uh, the exclusion zone yesterday. Our mayor did. Mayor. What do you mean we well, be okay. uh, well, no, the, the ring room and, and, <laughs> oh, and, and okay. our ability to, uh, to, to keep going in the ring room there. Yeah, no, so, it's a sad, sad, sad thing. But it's just typical of this city, man. Yes. I've grown so tired of this city. Well, you know, certainly the yeah. corruption is exhausting. You know, yeah. we have many aspects to the city. Um, I'm our so guest tired. today is, uh, is an expert on, on many of these things. He was, he's corrupt? No, well, he knows about corruption. He's, he's, he's he troubled. Was a, he was a, a longtime newspaper man and, uh, oh, yeah. and, and okay. writer and photographer. And, and he's and, probably uh, tired, too, of this shit. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get Aren't into that. Aren't you tired, man? Uh, me? Yeah, I'm so tired. No, no, I'm, I'm actually feeling kind of energized. You know, really? it seems like the more stuff I do, the more energy I have. Really? It's, it's been kind of, it's counterintuitive, yeah, you know. Okay. I, I think when I, was, when I was doing less things, I had less energy. I felt more mopey and and Well, you were on heroin then, though, weren't well, you? Well, I'm talking when about you more... you were doing less things. More recently than that, I'm oh, talking okay. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were on yeah. Advil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, someone was I was talking about how people on narcotics seem to um, get cranky and almost mean, even though you'd think, well, the, all the pain is being killed. What would you have to be cranky about? You know, I'm not even talking about somebody jonesing or going into withdrawals, just somebody on the shit. And they were saying, well, uh, opioids block the empathy center in the brain. It it. it causes people to have an inability to empathize with, with others. And I thought, well, that makes sense. That, that totally makes sense. And then this person went on to say, actually, even something like Advil, like chronic Advil use, Advil <laughs> will, will have a similar um, blocking effect on the, on the empathy center of, of, the, of the human brain. I, I just don't know what you said right, right now. Right, right, but right. anyway, I, I loved opoi- opioids. Right. I was never angry on opioids. Uh, you're angry now. <laughs> I'm not angry now. I'm just tired. Okay, right, right, right. Aren't right. you tired? No. Well, you had a full day of work, so. Yeah, I get up. I'm you know, a working man. Yes. I'm out there. Yes. Not yeah. like you. Well, I, I sleep w- late. Oh, no, I didn't sleep late. No, I've been, yeah. I've been, I had a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour rehearsal today. No, really? Yes. What time did you get up, though, uh, for I that? Got up, I got up at 9.30. Yeah, I got up at 5.30 <laughs> well, this morning, all right? Not, it's so, not a competition, man. Yeah, well, no, aren't you? No, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is, is I'm tired, and I'm getting... Are you still... You know, I'm tired of doing this every week. Well, I mean... Well, uh, I just, can we do this like every other week or something? Well, you know, I've, I've been thinking maybe I, we should go to a slightly different model where, because um, I'm you know, tired. I, I, man. I, maybe like, we have you, know, you for for special occasions or or you know every other week, and I could go to like a, a guest host model. So you know, you could have have one 
with, that you don't have to do, and and you know, I stand. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I'm just offering up some some possible uh, you know models yeah. that would accommodate. You couldn't do this without me, Renee. Well, I wouldn't do this. It wouldn't be the same the same fun as as as. As right. it is here, we wouldn't have this. But this I just want to know what is. You know, I think about this. We're doing this. Every, what is the reward of this? Oh, I think it's, every time I've done entertainment, I've gotten paid. We're not getting paid. Well, you know, I think it, know? it's it's its own reward. You know, and and it, there are there are um, intangible rewards that that are that go beyond uh, the monetary. That that I think you appreciate. That's why you 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 know want to continue doing it to some degree. And so, you know, we can talk about this off air and, and, you know, it's a, and, and work out some model that works for everyone okay, going forward. I'm just tired. You well, know, I know. I know, Manny. You know, I, I can see that. The and reward, you know, I don't understand the reward, I guess. Well, you know? the, the Trouble Nation enjoys these things. I, I feel a certain obligation to them. Not an obligation, but a, a, that's a, mm, it's a give and take. You know, they enjoy listening to them. Uh, we enjoy, I enjoy doing them. The guests enjoy coming on. It's, uh, we're creating a, um, you know, certain group of uh, very talented uh, people in New Orleans, talented, super talented weirdos, as, as Mr. <laughs> Mr. Quintron referred to, to our, uh, our, our guest uh, catalog. And uh, so, you know, that's, it's people that wouldn't normally be, um, showcase necessarily and certainly not in in this kind of uh um loose uh framework that we have so i i think we're providing a service um all right so you know i was in uh, i was in <laughs> or right. i was in orange california close to your neck of the woods over the weekend i played a date opening for booker t of booker t and the mgs the great stacks artist they're still alive oh yeah yeah and not only is he alive he looks great man i mean he's somebody that you know he's kind of a church guy he must have, li have lived a pretty clean life you know and uh, didn't get you know messed up with dope or probably not a not a big drinker how old is he he must be about like 74 i'm guessing so he come out in a walker or something no like no that? no no he's he's looks tr uh trim fit uh skin is good um you know he's a black guy so he's you know he's, he's got good skin it's it's what it's, is that supposed well, to mean you know, a black you've, guy you've, has good skin well you know the it, it's black people <laughs> tend to that? age well you know like they they tend to age better than some people with like my kind of very thin uh like northern uh uh you know scotch or irish kind of skin where we we prune very early on in the process sure okay <laughs> sure uh, just, okay anyway, so what so happened with booker, booker t, t looked great uh it was a thrill you playing. were in orange california yeah yeah now so while we were out there you know the people in the band some people like like to they're were thrilled by the idea that weed is legal out there and they have dispensaries yeah so you can go and you you know Look at all these different products. It's like, wow, uh, you know, we always dreamed that this day would come, and you know, hasn't come in Louisiana. May never, may, may never come in my lifetime. But uh, it, it is in California now. Odd thing, it's legal to buy weed in California. Mm -hmm. It's not legal to smoke out in public. It's not legal to smoke in your car. If you have a hotel room, they say, well, it's a two hundred fifty dollar fine if you smoke in the hotel. You can't smoke in a rental car. So. You, when you really get down to it, to, to do this in a legal fashion, you have to buy a home in California. <laughs> you have to be a homeowner. <laughs> well, you could do it in your own car. No, well, 
If you have a car, you can do it in your own car. I mean, you could. It wouldn't be legal. But yes, you could get away with yeah. it, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you're out there traveling, there's if you're... There's nine million people in L.A., uh -huh. I'm sh and there's like maybe eight cops to Right, well, you, you, yeah, know, you to could enforce. get away with it. I get it. Yeah, you, you could get, get away, away with it. it. Right, right, right. Well, you know, you can get away with a lot you in know. LA, you know, certainly we all have. But uh, I, I just thought that was interesting that, yeah, that, you know, it's it's it's... It's legal to purchase. It's just not legal to use unless you own a home or have have taken out a lease on an apartment. Then then you're good. All right. All right. Anyway. So you open for Booker T. Open for Booker T. Yes. And, and uh, so what's that crowd like? I mean, you're used to the icy hot crowd. Well, but, this, this so this crowd must have been like you know <laughs> you know the senior assisted living crowd, <laughs> right? No, no. So it was actually at uh, Chapman University, which is there in Orange, California, the uh, the, Mus the Musco Center, which is a, a big performing arts center that they've invested all kind of money in. It's tremendous. Uh, indoor facility where they can put on operas and uh, like a beautiful hall, all wooden hall. And But we were playing outside on this lawn that's actually kind of designed for, you know, it's uh, an outdoor performance. They had a big stage. And so they had university students. They had people from the community, you know, who were a little bit older than university students. And they had, you know, people all the way so up Chapman to... College. Chap what, what, Chapman University. Chapman yeah, University. Yeah. What, what is this, like a Jerry Falwell type no, of no, college? No, it's, it's, it's no, it's, it's a public university. No, wait, no, excuse me. No, no, excuse me. No, it's some kind of private religious uh, yeah, school. Yeah, see, I knew okay. that. Yeah, like okay. a Jerry Falwell kind Well, it's of not, I don't think the it's PTL, that. The PTL, man. I don't think it's the PTL. Was it PTL or anything like that? I don't think it's associated with PTL. No, they. So, I mean, they had us. They were pretty. Did they pretty have confessional loose. booths by no, the stage? No, no, no. I don't think it was a Jesuit organization. Okay. I think it was just uh, just some kind of. What are with the Jesuits? What's a Jesuit? Well, a Jesuit, you know, it's a certain order of of the Catholic Church. You know, they they have brothers that are affiliated, uh, you know, just amongst themselves. It's a teaching order. You know, like they have they have the Franciscans. They have one certain vocation or set of vocations. And the but Jes it's all about little boys, right? Well, it comes no, down no, to. no. The Jesuits, uh, you know, are they're they're actually a liberal. Uh, as it turns out, and I didn't know this because so it's about little girls. Then, well, the it's it's about it's about education. So okay. Who, yeah, and 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 also social justice. I think the Jesuits are big on that. Now in New Orleans, we have Jesuit High School, so I it has a certain character to it that I always associated yeah. with the don't je trust the janitor with the yeah. no, do not <laughs> trust the janitor. No, no, no. Um, at least not that janitor, uh, the former janitor. But uh, you know, so. It turns out that the Jesuits have a have a character um, worldwide that that is not exactly in line with the New Orleans uh, Jesuit high school character, which you know we don't need to get get into all that. But uh, you know we have our guest sitting here. He's he's a native New Orleanian. I've known him for many many years. He's uh, spent over thirty years as a photographer for the Times Picayune. Yeah. Um, he. Along the way, started he is is a jazz historian. knows a ton of that. Has run a cradle of jazz tour for over twenty years, jazz uh -huh. history tour in New Orleans. Um, again, as he pursued that, he winds up writing a book on Kid Ory, uh, which is uh, called Creole Trombone, Kid Ory, and the Early Years of Jazz. Uh, and he's involved in all kinds of things. We'll get into all this. He has a new book coming out called Giacomo, which is about uh, the native roots of the Mardi Gras Indians. Right. Well, you sent me mm -hmm. uh, a, a link about this, so I because you know I, I right. don't I don't know who these people are until I read about them. Sure. Um, but then uh, I, I I read a bunch of stuff about you, and I, I think you're fabulous, and you're probably the most troubled guest we've had on this show since Zach Bowen. 
<laughs> I don't know. remember Zach Bowen. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let me. So hey, let's without, introduce. Without, without I don't know if that's true or not, but <clears throat> I would say that. You don't know the troubles I've seen. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, maybe we'll get into it. Um, so if you could do me a favor, hold yeah, a little the, the bit mic. More there. We'll okay. hold the mic by this part. Yeah, okay. not by the cord. There you okay. go. Now we're going to. Now we're in business. Um, so without further ado, Mr. John McCusker, welcome, John. Hey, welcome. Renee. Welcome to the safe house. Oh uh, well, thanks. It's nice to have a safe house. Certainly feels safer than the halls of Edna Carr Junior High School yes. in 1978. Yes, they, th- that's when we first met. It, it felt rather uh, volatile there, you know, like you might get stabbed at any time. It was tense. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to Edna Carr? I did, yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought you went to Franklin. Well, that, I went to junior high school at Edna Carr. Edna Carr was oh, a junior high. Oh, then. junior high. Yeah, Renee was a uh, uh, drum major and... Okay. Um, and you were the you were the school photographer. I mean, you I were was the school photographer. So there's a there's a photograph in our yearbook from eighth grade that is of me taken by you. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's me in front in front of the band uh, with my my full uh, drum major's uniform on. I don't know if you recall, but I was not well liked. Well, you were the drum major. Right, you know, and also heavy, I was heavy as the head that wears the whatever that thing is. Right, the, the right, the big head. tall hat. Yeah, the yeah, the big tall hat. Um, but b- because I was the first eighth grade drum major, up till that point, everyone had been in ninth grade, which is the school was seventh through ninth. So the drum major had traditionally been a ninth grader. But I knew that I was going to go to Franklin the next year, so I thought this is my one chance to do it. Yeah, well, you know, you got to go for your opportunities, and I'm I'm pretty sure everybody's buried the hatchet. Okay, well, perhaps, perhaps. I don't know if you're probably safe in New Aurora. Yeah, I don't know if you've talked to talk to uh, to uh, uh, Bill Keslick, or I'm not sure that he's uh, he's a trombone player. Shout out to Bill Keslick. Still, uh, still broken up about it. I don't know. I don't know. He he won't friend me on Facebook. It's uh, you know I don't have anything against you, Bill. But anyway, so yes, we know each other that long, and <laughs> and again, the New Orleans is so small. We we still cross paths. Well, we, and then we we met at orientation at, at Loyola. Oh, okay. All right. Because right. we, we were both freshmen at Loyola at the same time. Okay. I forgot about Speaking that. Speaking back to those Jesuits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesuit institution. Um, so you were Jewish and you went to Loyola? I wasn't Jewish at the time. Oh, okay. Still Catholic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But they allow Jews at Loyola. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any sort of a they litmus test. They need that test. tuition, man. Oh, well, you know, yeah. Uh, I think you know, it's good that they let everybody in. The guilt is a good transitional bridge from culture to culture. It's true. It's true. It, yeah, it, was, it was an easy transition for me. Yeah, it's like a two-step. You just right, step right. to the side. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we have a, uh, I have this friend in Los Angeles who's a huge, Catholic, very devout Catholic now. Started off as a uh, devout uh, Cramps fan. Spent many years as a very devout Cramps, the band The Cramps. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, that actually makes sense. It's kind of a gateway drug to Catholicism, you know, The Cramps. Who's this? Uh, Mike Murphy. Shout out to Mike Murphy, Murphy, our our, uh, great Troubleman podcast supporter. So, so, um, so you spent all this time as a newspaper uh, photographer. You must have seen uh, crazy stuff during that time. Uh, uh, Remarkable stuff. I mean, you know, just on a just a statistical level, I photographed every president going back to Reagan. Um, I got to travel places in the world that I would have never even thought to go Ghana, South Africa, Senegal, wow, uh, Nicaragua. So, you know, for a very provincial kid that grew up, you know, 
in troubled New Algiers in the seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a much bigger world than the world I grew up in. Oh sure, and and it was you know it was it was a fabulous life in that regard. And this was all for the local newspaper for the Picayune, yeah. So you got your start there when you were right out of school, right out of. Well, actually. Um, you know, I, I did photography going back to junior high school, and I went to Leola and did photography there, and then started my sophomore year, I started freelancing on the weekends for the Picayune. And by the time I graduated, I was on staff. Okay. Um, and had met my future wife. So tell wife our and, listeners the Times you know, Picayune. That was the paper. Well, for the Times Picayune going here. back to 1830, 1837. Yeah, yeah. You were working then. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I, I started. You were a sketch that. artist then, weren't you? Yeah, I was sketchy. I was a yeah. sketchy artist. But, um, no, but, uh, it, it, it was 175 years old the year that they, uh, that they laid everybody off in oh, 2012. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That was terrible. Uh, I mean, it was terrible for me as a, as a subscriber. I can't imagine, you know, for the staff. Well, from the standpoint of the Troubled Man podcast, you know, for me, it, it had all kinds of ramifications beyond just being a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how we're like, I'm, I'm, we're 56. Yes. Typical of our parents' generation was to work at one company for 30 years, right? right? I mean, that was, you got your watch at 25. And, right. You know, Pension, that was yeah, just yeah, yeah. the man in the gray flannel suit. That was the world our, our fathers lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, and forgive me for speaking in patriarchal terms, but we were living in the patriarchy. So yes. just, you know, don't tweet me, millennials. Because we only, um, they, but, the, the, the pay structure at the time, you only needed one income to support a family. So, exactly. So the, 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 the moms were at home in most cases taking care of the kids. There was someone there when the children arrived right. home from school. Wasn't a bad thing, was it? Well, I mean, you know, if you held my gu- a gun to my head right now, I don't know that I would say no. <laughs> Um, it was, it worked for me as much as it did. But the thing was, is that, you know, I was very lucky. There were very few people of our generation that were able to, to enjoy that. Right. And I did for a very long time. And from 83 until 2012, you know, my job was shooting pictures for the picky. You know? Yeah. And it happened at a particularly hard time for me. You talk about troubled men, you know, we had Katrina happen that wiped us out. Everything I ever had. Mm. So you're all flooded. Lost everything except the white Strat I bought in 79 from my summer job that I stashed at the Picayune before the storm came. So I walked away with the 79 Strat. Um, And then my wife died in 2010. So I go from like the community support is gone. Mm -hmm. You know, my partner of 20 something years is gone. Mm -hmm. And now like the last leg of the tripod of support was the picky and then poof it's gone oh jeez. so that was like you know that's that's a mind screwer yeah. with you you know it's just kind of like you start going it's like dude you look at a god going what the hell did i do man right. i Who mean I seriously yeah, yeah. i will burn a candle tell me what i did right <laughs> well then they became uh just basically a, a, a nola.com and that was their news feed right it was a website well yeah, because I, the print uh, thing was dead that's what they felt they, they, felt. they were wrong 
Yeah. And they were wrong. Yeah, it was a company that came in from outside. They kind of gutted the, the whole thing. It was uh, some sort of corporate uh, shenanigan that was going on, really. And they yeah, didn't care and about it's, the it's too complicated, the, but right, worth to going into, into the right. major machinations of right. it. But, you know, the end is that a lot of people were hurt unnecessarily. Yep. A paper, a city that loved its paper. Because yes. let me tell you, people loved the picky. And they loved the picky and like they love Hubix Pies and Cafe right. Demon and Morning Call. Okay. Yep. Um, and they blew up <laughs> and they blew up all that goodwill that they had after Katrina. Yep. And it was just, it was just a tragedy. It was just sad. You know, you know, I have my sadness about it, but my main sadness is a community because it was our water cooler. It was their conversation starter. It's where our day began was the page one of the picky. Yep. It's true. Now I had a subscription from the time, uh, you know, my wife and I were living together until they went. We even kept it for a little while at, at four days a week and finally, like, you know, because, you know, people in New Orleans are obsessed with everything New Orleans. So we were upset. I mean, we were we liked the typeface of the Times-Picayune, you know, even though the, so the, the, the advocate comes out and they're publishing seven days a week. And they're like, yeah, but I just don't like that typeface. You know? Right. <laughs> and, you know, now it's all the same thing. Right. Well, now, now it's th- all the very same thing. Um. So, you know, I'm glad we still we still have a paper and, um, you know, the community will be better for that being there. But during that time, as it's you were able to to make a a positive move for yourself and that you you, this all these interests you had in terms of jazz history and and uh, all that knowledge you and, you know, your work in the journalism field, you were able to become an author and you start writing books. Well, and, and, you know, that was, that was something that grew out of, um, grew out of really almost, uh, uh, an anxiety I had about writing, you know, being at Loyola where, you know, you were taught to write, whether you want to know, want to or not, mm-hmm. Loyola University will teach you to write. They were going to require that of you. And they did. They really, they really helped me and feel comfortable with writing, but being at the picky and with people like Chris Rose Right, you know, and Lowell C. Eli, and and just you know, Bill Grady, just astounding writers. You must have known Frank Donzi well. Frank Donzi was my heart, man. Manny's he, good friend of, of Frank Donzi. I knew Frank, but well, but, he's dead now. Well, so well yes, I, but you I, were I was good friends. Well, yes, of course, that's what I mean. But Manny, Chris you, Rose, he's very troubled too. That guy, he's uh, we uh, all we all have our you issues. You know, right? he's that guy's got problems. But he was a former guest, and he was fabulous on this show. He yeah. was still a great writer, man. Chris yeah. is still incredible. He's writer. writing for the Rouse's newsletter, I think. Yeah, he's now. doing all kind of stuff. Yeah, right? well, that's good. Yeah, you yeah, know, he's, he's got his hands in a lot of uh, in a lot of fires, <laughs> a lot of pies. Yeah, well, you know, Frank Donzi, you know, one of the things people maybe don't know about the picky and there are all kinds of little secrets around new orleans people don't talk about you know like you know all kinds of things but one of them about the picky and was um most of the people that were in the newsroom were not new orleanians hmm. um there was a real push in the 80s to hire just top people top okay. people you know, so there was a lot of, you know, a lot of fine people and they were good people and I'm friends with a lot of them, but they were, you know, they went to Yale, they went to Harvard, they went to Brown, they went right. to Northwestern. Right. And people like Frank Donzi and I were counties. Yeah. In our own hometown. Mm-hmm. In that institution. And, you know, you could take that and you can go home and sulk in your corner or you can take that as a motivation and say, all right, you know. 
I'm going to put out and I'm going to create and I'm going to go toe to toe with these guys and show them that someone that's from the city is the only person that can really understand the city and tell the stories of this city. Yeah. Without all the crawfish, jambalaya, bonta roulette bullshit. Right, right, right. Just tell the real story. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, not this big, easy Bourbon Street crap. Tell the story of the people that we know, the people we grew up with, the people that we're around, the people we see in the clubs, the people not just that play music, the people that are around music and make that possible. Right. Um, Those are the people that help make this city great. Um, And those are the stories I tried to tell when I was at the paper. Mm -hmm. So... you know the 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 kid Ori book. How 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 do you wind up becoming uh, you know so, so particularly focused on Kid Ori? Well, a couple of reasons. Tell I the mean, people who Kid Ori was. Well, first of all, Kid Ori uh, was born in 1886. Kid Ori was uh, an early hot jazz band leader in New Orleans before jazz went national in mm. the teens of the early 20th century. Uh, he was the main progenitor of the tailgate style of trombone, mm-hmm. which uh, involves a lot of gliss right. uh, sliding back and forth. But you hate the trombone, don't you, Renee? No, no, no. I, You've I like said the, it over no, the past no, shows that you dislike the trombone. I didn't say that. Yes, you have. You said that. <laughs> no. You've said that uh, before. What, what, I, what I've remarked about is how the, the huge explosion of trombone players and the popularity of the trombone just in the last... 15 years in New Orleans, which when we were growing up, trombone was not seen as like a sexy instrument in any no, kind no, of no, way. No, no, no. There was know? a joke. Um, what do you, well, it's, it's dated now because of the context, but what do you call a trombonist with a, with a pager? An optimist. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. But, but what happened, I think, on the street in part was a trombone so freaking loud. Yes. When you're playing in one of those brass bands, you want to lay down a line, you're going to hear it if you're playing it on a trombone. It's true. Um, I've heard criticism people talking about criticizing people that play trombones just as big trumpets. Right. You know, and that's a whole nother esoteric yeah, yeah, yeah. discussion. But from trombone standpoint, Kid Ori is jazz trombone playing A. Uh-huh. That's your start point. Yeah. In other words, whatever's going to happen after, that's your starting point. Just right. like Joe Oliver's a start for trumpet players. Charlie Christian's probably the start for guitar players. Right. Um, and the reason for telling his story in particular is Ori comes up at exactly the same time as the music. Mm-hmm. In other words, his first trip to New Orleans from Laplace, where he's growing up, is in 2005 when he meets Buddy Bolden. Uh-huh. And he's having a quintessentially New Orleans experience. He, Kid he, Ori? Kid Ori. He 2005? Had, no, he meant 1905. 1905. Oh, okay. <laughs> he had saved up his money from the sugarcane harvest, and he took the train in New Orleans to go to Warlines, as you and I did to get our first instrument. Right, right. And he gets a trombone, and he brings it back to his sister's house in Central City off Jackson Avenue. And unbeknownst to Ori, since he's only 17, it's his first trip to New Orleans. Robertson and Jackson Avenue was known as the hangout corner. Okay. So that's where the cats hung out if they needed a job or if you had a gig and you need some players. Mm-hmm. So you would just hang out at Jackson and Robertson. Well, Ori doesn't know this, but his sister lives right at Jackson and Robertson. Okay. So he starts trying out his tram that he just got at the World Lines. Knock comes on the door. It's Buddy Bolden. Oh, wow. You know, okay. so imagine being 17 years old and having your bass guitar hero knock on the door. It's right, like, right, it's right. Renee, it's Sir Paul. You know, sure, it's sure, sure. right. Okay. Right. Um, 
And, you know, that really sets him in motion. So, in other words, Ori came up as the same time as the music itself. He right. witnessed the dawn of jazz. So, by telling his story, you're really you're telling, you're telling the entire story. Exactly. Excellent, excellent. And, and one other thing I'll mention is that Kid Ori is also the composer that is the traditional jazz equivalent of Stairway to Heaven or Freebird. Okay. In other words, it's, it's the song that every band has to be able to play just like every garage band has to be able to play uh-huh. and what songs. is that tell us muskrat ramble muskrat ramble of course of course F- famous composition and uh, it's still played all the time now yes uh, and uh most recently appropriated by country joe and the fish in the woodstock movie that's right they were um uh fixing uh, to die rag fixing to die rag yes uh but Kid Ori ties into a, a job that you were just telling me about. Is can we talk about your your next yeah, position? Your, yeah, the your... next thing we're doing is 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 really cool. Um, Kid Ori was born at the Woodland Plantation in Laplace back in the quarters, and uh, three years ago, um, my new partner bought the Woodland Plantation, huh. and he contacted me and we've had some conversations and we have now partnered and we're going to bring a museum into that old plantation house to tell the story of Kid Ori and tell the story of the 1811 slave uprising, which was also plotted and started, commenced at that house in 1811. Wow. Uh, It was the largest slave uprising in American history. Yeah. So we're going to tell those two stories in our exhibits at the house there. Nice, man. That's going to be so great. Yeah, and, and tr- you know, talk about the 200 people living out back, not the four people living in the big house. Right, right. Because, you know, so much of, of if, if you go to a lot of plantations in Louisiana, and I've even been to private plantations that people's families owned, and they always want to tell you how they treated their slaves good there, and, you know, it was uh, they were happy to be there, and it's this... It's it's gotten less so uh, over the last twenty years, but there still is a tendency to whitewash the the experience. You well put, whitewash. Yeah. Um, you know, the Whitney really was the game changer in terms of of addressing it head on. Um, you know, and that's something that has to be done. I mean, I've even been to some plantations that have very fine facilities, have done a very fine job restoring their houses and so forth. Um, but even when they're attempting to include you know, history of people of color, they're doing it with the same sort of moxie and enthusiasm that a child eats its carrots after he's demolished the meatloaf and mom has told him he can't leave the table till he eats the carrots. Uh-huh, right. You know, and that's got to change too. Yeah. And, and and that's, you know, that's what we're going to be trying to do at nice, this exhibit. Man. Nice. That's cool. Well, uh, it's about time to take a break and uh, get another cocktail, don't you think, Yeah, Danny? Yeah, sure, let's go. Okay. Uh, we'll be go- right back. Okay, and we're back. Back in the safe house. Yeah. Back with Manny Chevrolet. Yeah. Back with Mr. John McCusker. I am Renee Coleman. You know, uh, we're starting to talk about uh, uh, some other stuff. We'll get back into, into the history of jazz and Kid Ori. Um, but music history, I recently uh, started reading the, the new John Doe book. So, you know, John Doe had that, that book, uh, Under the Big Black Sun, which was kind of a history of L.A. punk rock starting really? in okay, like yeah. 76 through 81 or something like that. And it was a huge success. He had uh, he wrote several chapters, but then he had 
people from the scene write their own chapter. So we had like, you know, Jane Weedlin wrote one chapter, mm. or like Dave Alvin wrote a chapter. Cool. I always really, wanted to fuck Jane Weedlin. I think we all did. Yeah. <laughs> no, she ended up yeah. just fucking the go-go's. She's very cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to. And she'll cop to it too. And then when she uh, did her first solo now. record, she did her first music video as a so and she was writing dolphins. And I just, <laughs> I just jerked off to that. Oh yeah. yeah. Well then she I, I thought I could flip her right now, you know. I just wanted to fuck her so bad. <laughs> she was a cute but girl. But I respect yes. her, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very talented, very talented. Yeah. If you were jerking off to the cool places video, I'd be worried about you, Manny. And uh, I don't I don't know that one. That's what you do with Sparks. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, Sparks. Yeah, I hear people mention Sparks. I don't know I don't know that Sparks. Sparks was like one of those British things that happened that was super big that just tanked in the US. Sparks, Krillif Richard, you know, all those acts that like were big in the UK and just didn't Sparks go anywhere. Sparks had here. that one hit though. I think it was pretty big in the US. It was like, you know, top eighty, a big boy or something like huh. that. Big something. Huh. And they got they actually I don't know if you remember uh, the movie uh you know because remember um who's the guy who made all those disaster films in the seventies uh, um what Charlton know, like, Heston? No like yeah, Inferno and Earthquake. The right, producher right. of that, Irwin Allen. Irwin Allen, yes. Yeah. An Irwin Allen production. Yeah. Well, Irwin Allen did. Censorow. Oh, yeah. Well, this movie was <laughs> called <laughs> Roller. You probably do that together and get yeah. an effect. Censorow. But Irwin Allen didn't make this movie. It was called Roller Coaster. Oh wow! And I uh, remember that. And it was about a guy who was demented, and he wanted to he uh, kill people. He would sabotage roller coasters. Yeah, and they had just opened the Six Flags in L.A., so it was a perfect place to shoot this film. Uh -huh. And it wasn't produced by Irwin, but Sparks had a the, song in there. Sparks performed. They were oh. performing at the park. Oh, okay, a cameo. Yeah, while like the tension's growing, while the Alfred Hitchcock scene of the bomb underneath the seat, but you know right. the audience knows, but no one else knows that kind of thing. So they were the, they were the music yeah. to the MacGuffin, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and uh, and um, it was a horrible film, horrible. <laughs> really? Film. No, really? Yeah. <laughs> that's a shock. And uh, Boy, who was it? Well, that's a neck snapper one there. Of, one of the um, <laughs> one of the there was those. You know, there's a lot of, not the Quaid brothers or not the Bridges brothers, but there was another brother actor trio. Not I forget the, their the, names. Not the Hudson brothers. No, not the Hudson brothers. Okay. No, no. It's like, were they in the Long no, not Riders the or something? Okay, not the Smothers brothers. Not the Marks brothers. Not the Keech brothers. No, not the Keech brothers either. I think it was, uh, I'll think of them. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't yeah. remember. But right. it's an awful film. But Sparks, you said they didn't do well in the U.S., but they got a part in that film. Well, well Renee will be the first person to tell you the value of getting your song in a soundtrack. Well, it, it, in in the old days, uh, it, it it could be could be something. Yes, yeah, it could you know if uh, iguanas could have made a lot of money if our if we hadn't had half of it stolen by our manager at the time. But uh, who saw that coming, right? Well, I told you not to sign with Alan Klein. <laughs> oh, we would have been better off signing with Alan Klein. Well, I waiting. signed with Weinstein. Oh, that okay. guy, man, talk about a grabber. He's well, a that explains why guy. you're troubled. Yeah, friendly guy, <laughs> too friendly. Yeah. But, that would trouble uh, anyone. So, yeah. so the first John Doe book, you know, they have like a 
a uh, chapter by uh, Robert Lopez Elvez. That's yeah. where he talks about the Latino punk rock scene. Very cool, you know. And and I, I re- re- read it right when it came out, and I remember it as being really good. Now, someone was saying, well, Renee, if you recall, it was slightly uneven. Some chapters were great, and some were 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 less good. Maybe so now I've, he has a new book out. So now, it, but it was very successful. It was like you know, uh, LA Times, uh, you know, top ten for weeks at a time. I think it. The, the audio book of it got a Grammy Award for Best Audio Book. And he got book. Gilbert Gottfried to do the audio book. I know. Right? It's, it's That's hard to crazy believe. That, yeah, how that works. I know, I know. You know. Well, so, so he put I on... married Xene for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and then we didn't like each other so much. <laughs> but we continued as a band. <laughs> bold choice. Yeah. Bold choice by John Doe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. he's a, he's a well, you know, growing up in L.A., uh, there was always that rumor that John Doe was Jim Morrison for a while. There was really, a, yeah. he was m- so much younger. <laughs> well, no, but because he sounded a lot like him. Oh, okay. And, never would have never. Yeah, no, but I mean, it was a stupid rumor right, that right, you right, know right. because Jim had just died, and you know, five years later, the X comes out uh, with their poetry. John Doe looks twenty years old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. The, well, you know, it's, you know the, it's Paul, the Paul. The Paul is. Believe man. anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, no. We needed something. Surgery, the Paul is dead thing had played out by right. Right. We needed some new fodder. Exactly. Well, so he has a new one coming out. It's or it's that's been out for a few months, and I I just I've read half of it. It's called More Fun in the New World. Okay, after their their record, so and it it has uh, again uh, I'm, since it's, I'm fresh reading it. It's definitely some great chapters. You know, Dave Alvin writes a great chapter about the him being in the Blasters. He says, uh, you know. He, the whole entire band of the Blasters being in uh, Lenny Waronker's office uh, at Warner Brothers for a few times when after several meetings where the band gets into spontaneous, spontaneous uh, internecine fights amongst themselves that have, has nothing to do with what's being discussed. In Lenny's office. In Lenny's office. That <laughs> Lenny banished everybody except for Dave Allen. He said, well, none of you other guys can show. This is like the most legit producer and he, and in lab, the field in the 70s. Head at the time, yeah. And he, yeah. now he's the head of Warner Brothers. It's like Randy Newman's producer. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. very successful producer and, and you know, the, the head of Warner Brothers Records at the time. So he, he banishes the rest of the band, so only Dave Alvin is allowed to go to these things. So that's a great chapter and, and he, because he actually talks about the band and what's going on um, in terms of, you know, the cultural milieu and the, the whole arc of, you know, punk rock, playing itself out, going into more, uh, you know, roots rock. And now some of these chapters, like Pleasant Gaiman's chapter, for instance, oh, it just, it winds up being like, you know, so it starts off as like, oh, you know, we lived in this crazy place, disgrace land. And, you know, um, Belinda Carlisle was, was my roommate and, and these other people. And, and then she starts talking about who everybody was fucking. And you think, okay, well, this, you know, this is amusing for a page or two well it goes on for like 20 more pages of who's every who everybody's fucking <laughs> like well well know. yeah we fucked a lot in la well, yeah, you, but I you mean, joked when i said i, I fucked you know, over 200 no, no, Renee, all i can know? say is Believe i must you. be doing music history all wrong yeah yeah, yeah. well it's you it, know i think you're doing most it right. of the people that got fucked in in the ori book it was metaphorical right right well because you know not that kid ori wasn't you know didn't have access to a lot of tail. Oh, but, well. But, uh, yeah. you know, there's certain Despite things... Despite the trombone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tailgating trombone. Tailgating trombone. <laughs> um, 
but it, it, it really didn't hold your interest as, a, uh, as an observer, as a, as a consumer of, of, of this prose. You know, it's like after a few pages, like, I really don't care. <laughs> what trashy people you guys were, you know, who was who was pairing with whom? You were just jealous that you weren't fucking. Ah, uh, well. Um, Speaking of fucking, yes, you've been okay. on the road a lot. Sure. How many cripples have you fucked on the road? Um, uh, You know, at this point, I've lost count, Manny. Okay. But uh, at least you can count them on your hand or no? I don't know. I've lost count. I, I, okay. I don't know any. But what's, what's, how, this, what's your point? My point is, you know, remember that woman who was biting that camel's testicles? Yes, yes. She's going into porno. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a bold move for yeah, her. At she's 69 porno, years yeah. old. She's doing porno. Animal porno. Is this bestiality? No, I or? think it's, it's it, okay. I don't know about that. I just heard that she, she's got an edgy. agent. She's got an agent. Okay. I think it's John Doe's agent, maybe. <laughs> okay. um, you know, or Pleasant Gedman's agent. I don't yeah. know. But she's got an agent and she's getting into porn now. Okay. So, so, you know, there's an audience. The story continues, you know. There's it's, an audience now there. They, they say you can't make money in porn anymore, but I don't know. Maybe she's just doing it for I, the love of the art, you know. Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> just you know, for I the love audience. for her blind dog. Right, 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 right. That's her first scene, actually, is with her blind dog. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I'm sure uh, camels <laughs> are breathing easier everywhere. <laughs> so you're familiar with the story, John. I am. I am. You've been Although, along I, you know, home. as a journalist, I was really upset because none of the reporting explained whether it was the left or the right. Okay. Well, you see, that's as a. So that's as a the kind layman, of detail I, I oriented I, I, thing. I it's even... like. You know, most guys wouldn't pick up if, you know, a gray snow got dropped. You as a musician would pick that up immediately, right? Okay. You know, something like that. Well, it's I, a know, subtlety of the craft. Right, right. Well, you know, when I consume music, I try to only do it as a as a, a fan. Uh-huh. You know, because I have to treat music as a, you know, as a professional in so many instances. But that's not my my initial interest in music. It's as a fan. So when I listen to music, I'm very uncritical as opposed to like recording music or playing music where I'm very critical and I right, hear everything. Right. But you were very critical of public image when we went and saw them live. No, you were very critical. No, I, I was critical. No, you kept saying that they were doing some kind of thing with their drum and all that and their bass and stuff. And you mentioned it to Carlo Nucci. Well, I, maybe I, show, I, I talked show. about that they yeah. were using some backing tracks, yeah. which, which I would have preferred they didn't because right. it just kind of... Merches out everything that's really happening, and those guys were all great musicians. You know, the the band is excellent, and those guys I thought could, they were horrible. Well, I'm saying they're the individual players in in uh-huh. in Public Image. But at that show, that show was off. Well, the sound was really tough at that show, man. And right. and I was thinking that it was just the that the Civic didn't have good sound. Hmm. Now here's where I I changed my tune because about three weeks later I went and saw the Breeders, who's a band I love. You know, Kim Deal and Kelly Deal and and uh, you know I was I was a fan right from the the time they started, and they played the same room at about half the volume with no backing tracks and it was still totally filling up with sound and totally rocking, but you could hear everything. It was very clear and very musical, and I thought, well, it's not the room. It's just how you're somebody is you know using the room and Public Image put way too much sound in. All those layers of backing tracks were just just eating up all the, you know, the, it is a zero-sum game in an oral environment. You know, you can only fit so much sound in a space. You know, I, I, I you know, this is, maybe I just like this black or white, but if you're going to go and you're going to do live performance, do live performance. Yeah. If you're going to go be Debbie Gibson in a mall, go be Debbie Gibson in a mall. Sure. 
But don't. I used to want to fuck Debbie Gibson too. I think everybody did. Yeah. Yeah. In a mall. Yeah, yeah. in, in the the a mall. mall. Right there in the mall, mall. the food court. Yeah. Yeah. Right there by. Uh, in the bathroom yeah. of the food court. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. By the Panera Bread. <laughs> yeah. But speaking uh, of Florida, man. Okay, yes. Because those people were from Florida. Yeah, the, the, exactly. the testicle biter was from Florida. So yes. I heard a great thing. This guy, this kid. You know, he's like in his young 20s. He's living in an apartment complex. He's got a roommate. Mm -hmm. And his roommate apparently stole his pot. That's that's unheard of. Yeah. (laughs) So he calls 911. Okay. I mean, we talk about Florida. File a complaint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We always talk about Florida, right? Yes. Weirdest state in the East. Yeah. On the East, but Arizona's are. Arizona's a close second. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the West Coast. So he calls 911 Uh to say that his roommate stole his pot. Now, pot is still illegal in Florida. Yes. So the dispatcher sends the call to some officer who's close to his location Mm -hmm. and then connects them to each other. Uh So now this guy is talking to this deputy saying, My roommate stole my pot. And the cop just says, Stop calling us right now. <laughs> yeah. oh, he's doing him a solid. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you big dummy. Yeah, you big ass dummy. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's it, you know, because you don't want us coming over right now. Because, you know, even if it was a dime bag, he could see time in Florida. Well, yeah. Manny, I think you're speaking volumes there. And, you know, in light of that woman who was babysitting and shot in her own living room last week. Oh, Jesus, I know, man, crazy. I actually put out a post on Facebook. I meant it for everybody, but particularly to my lighter friends. Mm -hmm. Stop calling the fucking police all the time. Just stop it. Yeah. If if you're worried about your neighbor because their front door is open, go knock on the door and call their name. Right. But then you might get shot. Then if well, they don't, the police are there. Oh, it's better to get your neighbor shot, right? No, I just knock on the neighbor? fucking door and ask if anybody's home. Right. And if there's no answer, then call the police. Right, right. But I think people are, you know, just think about situations, tense situations in your life that would be improved by a stranger who's armed. Right, right, right. Just think of it in those blanket cold terms. Very few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about the tense situations in your life that would be improved by an armed stranger. Right. Not Clint Eastwood. Right, right. No, no, it's and and you know, the, I, I would I would piggyback on that and say I, I think police training needs to to be uh changed in some way because police are they seem they seem to be way too ready to resort to Well lethal let me force. let me piggyback on that because okay. I witnessed that happening. Yeah. And the way I witnessed it happening was there was a general militarization of police mm-hmm. forces in the 80s and 90s. Right. Started in L.A. And, Spread you know, everywhere. from my position at a newspaper, every time, you know, they did training or something like that, you know, they'd invite us to come out and shoot pictures to show they're doing their jobs and mm-hmm. all this sort of But what they did was, in a way... They had all these shoot or no shoot drills, you know, virtual reality things where you're presented with a scenario and you have to decide whether you're going to pull your gun and draw and shoot or not. Mm -hmm. Here is an option that's not in any of the shoot or not shoot scenarios. Backing away. Yeah. It's not built into the training. Yeah. Backing away and saying, all right, Cap. All right, look. 
I'm going to back up. You just take a moment. In other words, there is nothing in the training about diffusing situations. De-escalating, yeah. So if your your only tool is a hammer, it's all a nail. Right. And that's why that woman died playing Nintendo with her relative in her living room. Yeah, and then and the we'll, case we just had where the woman, the police former police officer was convicted of, of killing that, that fella in his own apartment. Right. Same thing, you know. And it's, it doesn't have to be to the level of Bull Connor. It doesn't well, have to be. I don't know if that's the same thing. No, well, but it no. She, she should know where her apartment is. Well, no, I'm saying that, yes, there's a whole, they're not. <laughs> She's it's not, on a different floor altogether. No, I agree. No, But, but the gun should have never been pulled. Right. I'm saying the, 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 the ease with which police are ready to shoot somebody is, is the commonality, I think. That's to me. Uh, I can know. tell you that when Renee and I were growing up in Algiers, you know, and I was running around, you know, I'm smoking dope. I'm parking on the levee and feeling right. girls up and all the other right. stuff that the guys at O'Perry Walker were doing back in the late 70s. Yes. I never had a police officer approach my car with his gun drawn. Mm-hmm. I never had a police officer approach my car with his gun unsnapped. Yeah. I never had a police officer walk up with an automatic weapon. They had revolvers back then. Right. I had police officers. Probably, I had police officers that caught me with dope that made me throw it away and go home. Yeah, yeah. Instead of putting me in the system, right? You know what? Because you were white. Yeah, probably. Probably because you were white. Almost certainly. And I got and I got in a police chase one time, and you know, the only reason I'm probably alive is because I'm white. Because you're white. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. I'm not saying for the good old days. I'm not saying that was the good old days for everybody all around. Right. But what I'm just saying is that vignette of not being hyper vigilant and inserting yourself into people's lives. You know, a lot of these accounts that you hear in the news that happen happen in little nothing municipalities. Ferguson. Right. Give me a break. When you have a little Mayberry level sheriff's department that goes for training with the Homeland Security Department in AR-15s uh-huh. and urban assault. Yeah. Well, they get all those toys. They want to use them. Sure, sure. You know, and that's why all these little cities have these tanks and stuff now. It's crazy, man. Right. So they have been encouraged to become, to emphasize the military and the paramilitary part of their role. And we have got to de-escalate that shit. And I, I, th- I think, you know, it, it, it contributes to the, the sense of the American population of like this heightened anxiety we have because we're all being watched and, and the police are on hair trigger. Look, I, I was telling Manny a, a couple of podcasts ago, I played Gretna Fest um, recently, oh. a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, yeah, we could go on and on about that. Yeah, go ahead. You're the parking guy, right? Well, yeah, but but yeah. but besides the the parking issue, the hyper vigilance of the parking guy, um, there were so many armed officers there. Now I understand they're on alert. You know, we've had some mass shooting incidents, but like SWAT team level outfitted uh, officers, regular officers, just there's a, a like you're in Nicaragua. Like exactly. That's exactly what I thought. It feels like I've been in like an Ecuador South where they, Africa. where they have, they almost use that as a, as an, a, a full employment thing. It's like we, the, all these people are going to be running around on the well, street. They, so they we'll they just got, give them. And guns. look how quickly it got normalized. Right. Oh, I know. It's terrible, man. But they get the funding for it, and they have to show it. But that's the thing. 
Yeah, the whole thing from 9-11 was all that so. funding came through from Homeland Security. So that's why when you go to like the Oyster Festival or whatever in St. Bernard Parish, the light that's lighting the gig, the light that's lighting where all the, the amusements are and the stage and everything, right. it'll say on the side of it, St. Bernard paid for, you know, St. Bernard Parish paid for by the Department, U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. That's your tax fighting dollar fighting terrorism at the church fair right, yeah. in St. Bernard yeah, Parish. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're the... Uh, That's how much money was put up to, into this. So people want to talk about government waste. Yep. Yeah, there you go right there. So giving all these tanks and using all this training to train just Mayberry Police Departments in armed assault, please. Yeah, no, it's a problem, man. Well, speaking of problems... Yes. Uh, I uh, heard about uh, this story out of North Carolina. Okay. That's uh, tobacco country, isn't it? It is. It is tobacco country. Yeah, I love that area. Yeah, it's nice. Because I love tobacco. It's pretty, yeah. yeah. yeah but anyway, yeah. They, were, uh, they arrested these three women who were uh, working at a uh, senior assisted living center, and they were uh, doing their own fight club. Oh, really? <laughs> senior women? Oh, say? I heard about this. No, so these three women, oh, they, three they women. were nurses. Oh, nurses. And they were running a fight club with all these old elderly people. As the, as the uh, Partici- combatants. Yeah, and most of these people had dementia. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. And what is they wrong were... People, um, Typical boxing yeah. experience. You just front, end, front load the dementia. Oh, God. Yeah, right. CT is given. Yeah, yeah. But the great thing about dementia and for these demented mm-hmm. people is that uh, you meet a new uh, uh, opponent every day. Right. Even though they're the same opponent. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what they're going to yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, so these three women got arrested. And they oh. got fired first. And okay. then they got arrested. Okay. But the, uh, the champ, <laughs> the champ was a 90-year-old man okay. who's undefeated. Really? As far as he knows. <laughs> He's undefeated because of his dementia. As far you know? as he knows. You know, and he keeps, you know, having the same fight over and over again. Right, right, right. You know. Well, he keeps talking about how he won the belt. Nobody's got the, R- right. got the heart to tell him it's a colostomy bag. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. You know. Thank God for small kindness. But, well, uh, you know, there's that. Yeah, yeah. So they're taking this fight club on the road. Oh, okay. Their next stop is like Florida. Off Broadway show. Okay. <laughs> Their next stop is Florida. Manny, I'm guessing somebody obviously talked about Fight Club. Uh, you're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. Oh, uh, oh yeah. And somebody talked, and that's why we all get, know. Well, yeah. no, these these three women, these three uh, uh, nurses, or uh, whatever they were. I don't know if they were orderlies or something. Orderlies, yeah. or whatever. They were, st- of course, they're stupid enough to tape it all on their phones. Okay, and then they got their phones repaired somewhere. Yeah, well, (laughs) and then one of them was stupid enough to post it. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty So that, that's kind of a red flag right there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. you're going to get found out. So um, they're going to see time, and they're going to, you know... I, you know, Well, I hope I so. I hope they see time. I hope so, yeah. man. I hope they don't uh, you know, just sweep this under the rug. And you know, Well, it's North Carolina. You know, I don't so know. anything can I, happen. You know, I don't know. I, I really don't know anyone from North Carolina. I have a, a whole side of my family from North Carolina. My mother's And they're family. nurses? The, no. um, the, my mother was a nurse, um, okay. and she is. I mean, she's not from North Carolina. She but has her dementia family, now. She does not have dementia, okay. although her her mother did. Okay, so it does run in my family. 
But, uh, you know, so far so good with me anyway. Um, but, but yeah, I have a whole set of cousins that still live in, in uh, like the Chapel Hill or, uh, or uh, Raleigh or uh, uh, Cherry Point area. Their father was in the Marines. No, you've lost me already. Yeah, I'm yeah, bored no, already. You don't care. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I got an interesting uh, Facebook request, friend request today. It was from this kid in Rwanda. Now, odd, because I don't know anybody else in Rwanda. I'm not sure how he uh, found me or how he thinks that, you know, we have something in common. He's trapped in a castle and he needs your help, is basically. <laughs> he may. He wants your we, money. We haven't gotten that far in our relationship, but it's right. just the first, it's just the initial stages. He seems like a good kid, you know, he's got right. a sweet face. Um, when I You've say, seen his face? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, I've seen a face. I don't know. I don't know okay. who actually owns the account, but it's a picture of the same guy. He's, you know, he's he's a he's on the thin side. You know, he's not again nice skin. You know, he's. Uh, well, I he, hope I hope he's not on the fat side in Rwanda of all places. Uh, you, know? you know, the stranger things have happened. You okay, know, I've, so I've he, seen a lot of people right. in, in poverty who seem to be uh, huge. I don't know. Don't see a lot of fat people in They're eating their young. eating the young. Yeah, that's yeah. why. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I, I didn't decline his request, but I, I haven't accepted it either. I'm taking a wait and see attitude. I might just have to monitor his account for a few weeks and see. Yeah, how you might want to check it out. This got weird for me, and you know, it got weird for me when I went from just being John, your coworker, your friend, your neighbor on Facebook, to like when you start putting content out there mm -hmm. like a book and I know you've experienced this putting records out and being right. in a band and all that kind of stuff and suddenly you get Facebook fans yeah yeah right yeah and no, it's like nice that. and it's wonderful and everything and the smart artists cultivate that and so forth but it's a little weird too it's almost all I have I don't have any real friends so <laughs> but anyway go on <laughs> no well, you know I'm you know good that you had that rail call moment to admit that and, yeah, yeah. and probably the same is true of me I don't know that I've ever actually been in a room with most of my Facebook friends yeah now occasionally I will I will be at a gig and someone will come up and say oh hi nice to meet you we're Facebook friends right 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 exactly you know and it's all night it's all and nice that's when for you that go, stuff oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Manny's, invasion of the body snatchers. Manny's pointing a finger for all. Yeah, you, he's uh, doing the Donald, podcast. the Donald Little Sutherland at the end the towards snatchers. Angela Cartwright at okay, the end exactly. of uh, right, invasion of the body movie. snatchers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Science yeah. fiction for five hundred, Alex. Yeah, exactly. Nice, nice. Man. Don't get me started. My my kids got me a Star Trek trivia pursuit game, and no one will play it with me. They got me a Beatles trivial pursuit game. No one will play it with me. So you're you're Beatles mad and you're Star Trek mad. I just stuff goes in and it just stays there. No, they're playing it with you. You just don't know because you've got dementia. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's possible. And you have a fight coming up tonight. Yeah, Did you we have a fight that? coming up tonight. Exactly. Well, now, I don't have to worry about that. I'm bigger than Jesus now. Now, now, yeah. now so since you're such a Beatles fan, have you heard the uh, the Giles Martin remixes of uh, like Sgt. Pepper and, and uh, the White Album? Because I just heard the most... Re I've heard both of those. I, just I heard, heard the Pepper and I heard some of the White. I haven't listened to Abbey Road. I've come to a new denouement on Abbey Road, which has always been very much my favorite record, but okay. Okay. Come to a new denouement okay. and a new realization on it. You know, Pepper, since they were going four track to four track and bounce mixing everything down through the whole thing, mm. the main thing I think with Pepper was, you know, the hiss was gone. Right. 
and the drums were sharper. The stuff that was lower in the mix when they did it's the reduction present. mixes right. is more present. Yeah. And that's the main thing. The bass has got more resonance. Yes. Um, guitars have a little bit more edge to them. Well, but you're also to... hearing more noise, and you're also hearing the defects in the splicing, too. Sure, sure. Um, so it is more analytical in that way. White Album... I don't know. The White Album used to be one of my favorites. It's not held up for me. But huh. more importantly, the Just real... the material overall? Or, or, the, or the, the, the new I've got to say that after 35 years of listening to it, I think they should have done one record. Okay. But coming back, that's a whole other discussion. So a, a but bold, coming back to Abbey Road. On the part, part of coming John back McCusker. to Abbey Road. But the new discussion, I think that people are missing because they have things like clickbait Abbey Road things that are on, you know, on media every day. I, mm-hmm. I think there are a couple of things that people, there are elephants in the room that people don't want to talk about with Abbey Road. One is that John was basically. Checked out. Checked out for the whole thing. Yeah. He's on heroin. The he was first done with Paul. They were all so sick of Paul. Well, I mean, he had his I days. Mean, they had days that were good and days that were bad in the studio. And you can hear that in the chatter in between. You'll still hear him going, you know, I think I felt at that time, Paul. Yeah. You know, the same things you would say to cats in the in the in the sure. studio, right? But the first thing they recorded, the first track they recorded for the album was I Want You See So Heavy. Mm-hmm. They didn't record Come Together to almost the end. And the only other contributions John's got are primarily fragments. Yeah. Most of Abbey Road does not have John Lennon on it. Okay. He's not on Something. He's not on Maxwell Silver Hammer. He's not on No Darling. Yeah. He's not on Octopus's Garden. I know and, like, he wouldn't and, work on anything of George's because he's like, well, no, that's... I, I well, I mean, he was cracked down on heroin and then he got in a car wreck in the middle of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but John is not on Here Comes the Sun. John's not on something. Yeah. And the funny thing is everybody talks about, you know, George really came out of the record. Well, George came out on that record because Paul's in the studio. Paul loves being in the studio. Paul loves to play. I mean, right. that's just Paul's deal. Right. So he spent all that energy that we normally spent with John, with Paul, with George, working on Here Comes the Sun and something. Yeah. And if you hear the demo of Here Comes the Sun and then hear what they ultimately did, it's all Paul. Yeah. <laughs> it's all Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And he's quite talented. So when you he's go quite back, a talented boy. I think he's going to go far. Yeah. <laughs> when, they when they release all this remastered Sgt. Pepper and all this, it's, it is all Paul, right? It's all Paul. Right? No, 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 no. I would not say that. I would well, not say that at all. John's dead. Who, you know, Ringo's not around. Well, so is George. Well, I'm talking about in the context so of a creating but band. But I mean, when a band goes back, a classic rock band goes back to re-release a new uh, one of their classic records and ma- remastered. So who's, I mean, well, for the Beatles, who's there? Well, Giles Martin, George Martin's son, has, has been the guy at the helm of these last three uh yeah, and they have a circle of people because Jeff Emmerich is going to be in the end, is going to be on the loop on that. You right. know, they're old engineers. Um, even Alan so Parsons, are, I imagine all those guys are in on the mean, loop. And Yoko George, has a place, you know. Yeah, and Yoko they all have Yoko all the, place, the widows. Right. Say, and the widows yeah, and Paul yeah, and Ringo have, have a, uh, first refusal on everything. Right. It's all collective now since they settled the business, the Apple business. Paul is is the surviving Beatle who is you know most has an informed opinion about it right yeah yeah and but you know really you know, i mean they'll tell you after 67 after pepper 
you know, the only reason they made as much music as they did is because Paul would ring the other three up and say, you know, hey, lads, let's make a record. Right, right, right. You know, that doesn't mean he was the greatest Beatle or anything, but, you know, all you have to do is listen just to like, a couple of his solo records like to be dismissed of that end, category. The end, the end, who cares, who cares, who ca- I don't care. You don't care. <laughs> no, he doesn't I don't care. care. I don't oh. care less about it. Okay, well. Yeah. John, so your your most recent thing that's coming out uh, just now is the 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 book Giacomo, the the native roots of Mardi Gras Indians. So we have a few more minutes. Let's talk about that. All right. Well, Giacomo is a uh, is a project uh, that includes uh, about twenty two years of my photography and four years of work with uh, with my pal Shane Leaf. Okay. Um, and we just bought our respective skills to it. You know, I had twenty something years around the Indians, getting to know them, talking to them, shooting pictures. Um, and Shane was is a linguist. He speaks Yoruba. He speaks Native oh, wow. American languages. He speaks French, German, Spanish. Um, he's also a musician. Um, and uh, we found that between our discoveries about the Mardi Gras Indian history, we kind of had a perfect Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, yeah. And Shane had discovered the etymology and the roots of the word Giacomo. Mm-hmm. And I had discovered the earliest newspaper mention of the word Giacomo oh, in, really? America, in New Orleans vernacular and culture. W- and what well, that? Uh, well, Shane's got a reference from the 18th century. Oh, wow. And I've got a reference from 1879. And it's a guy dressed as an Indian walking through a crowd on Canal Street. And the, and the people around him are crying out, Chuckamofino, Chuckamofino. Huh. Um, so if nothing else, our book identified the oldest word in the New Orleans vernacular. And okay. it's the word Giacomo. Okay. And then so, but so the the book, uh, you know, it has all these beautiful photographs in it. But you go back to the the earliest uh, origins of the Mardi Gras Indian tradition, and right. Well, you know, if you listen to Mardi Gras Indian history, the way that they generally presented themselves is they talk about two loosely defined periods that they mm-hmm. came out as a Mardi Gras thing after the Civil War, in homage to what their relationships had been with Native Americans in the times of slavery. Uh huh. So we took that as a starting point and we went and, you know, since we're researchers, we said, all right, let's use our skill set to see what we can find starting with that as a starting point. We found an incredible amount of stuff. Um, we found examples of Mardi Gras processions with uh, black folks, you know, doing a musical procession out of Conga Square being followed by actual Indians. Yeah. Wow. Um but what we really wanted to emphasize, and sort of the double entendre of the name, the Native Roots, is one of the things you'll find in a lot of people's attempts to tell the history of the Mardi Gras Indians is they'll start talking about the Wild West shows. Oh, really? Buffalo Bill and the Wild West that show. That would never that occur sort of to me. It's in just, just about all the histories you'll see out there, it's huh. mentioned. And what we were looking at, Native is double entendre because it means both the Native American people here, but also local. the local influences. Right. And the fact of the matter is, I can't see that the the, the Wawashas had anything to do with anything because yeah. beginning in 1859, if you had two pennies in your pocket to rub together, those two pennies had the head of an Indian on them. Right. So certainly people knew what Indians looked right. like. Right. Yeah, I mean, Wild West shows, that's not something we ever saw in New Orleans. I mean, and, or, Well, I mean, or, the Buffalo Bill was here from 84 to 85, but over Mardi Gras. But 
we've got indie Mardi Gras Indians on the streets in the 1870s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've got evidence. But do you of have that. Mardi Gras cowboys on the streets? <laughs> oh, yes, there are actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, in fact, gay cowboys. Perhaps no. somewhere. <laughs> we don't know. We don't I think know. if yeah. I found a 19th century reference where they use the word gay, it would not be in the same vernacular. <laughs> right, 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 today. right. Like happy, uh, yes, uh, joyous. Gaysome. Gaysome. Gaysome okay, was yeah. a regularly used word. Really? We don't, not so much today. No, I, I've, I never I've, seen I that. I think Gaysome's ready for a rebirth, uh, a really. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's like, you know, I'm at, I'm at the costume contest on Mardi Gras. It's so Gaysome. Yes, it's a Gaysome event. <laughs> well, your book looks exciting. It looks exciting. And when does this come out, John? Yeah. Uh, we'll be uh, debuting uh, at the Louisiana Book Festival in Baton Rouge on November 2nd. Okay. And then the official release mm-hmm. is at Octavia Books nice. at 6.30 on November 20th. And Tom Lowenberg has agreed to host us. And we're very excited about that. Because when I think of the uh, Mardi Gras Indians, I think of uh, traffic. That's what I think of. <laughs> you think of getting stuck uh, Yeah, because on, they never on... announce when they're going to roll or anything like that. And I go out to do some shopping and I'm stuck behind some fucking... Mardi Gras Indian thing. Well, so you know, Manny, I'm, I'm here to tell you they're doing that just to annoy you. Yeah, I know. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. It I'm is. not representing myself as the Mardi Gras yeah. Indian whisperer, but a couple yeah. of the guys, I'm just going to say. <laughs> uh, they have, have divulged that they're yeah, they, you know, they part of the side thrill. And Chevrolet yeah. guy, yeah. yeah. Well, fuck well, that guy. We're good. We're standing in front of his car. Well, <laughs> fuck me the last nineteen years. It's like it's always in my way. These guys. That's that is part of the charm of of many New Orleans institutions is that they they can't be uh, put in a box. They they won't be uh, quantified. They won't be uh, regulated, or, or or they 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 won't be. Um, it's the word standardized. You That's know? exactly so we're, right. We're, we're, they're, they're not going to, they could tell you what the route is, but they would have to figure out what the route is first. And even if they did figure it out, they wouldn't tell you. Well, you know, that's one of the that's one of the cornerstones of Mardi Gras that we found is, you know, when people talk about Mardi Gras now, they all start and go, oh, well, Comus, the first old line parade was founded in 1856. Right, right. Like that's the beginning of Mardi Gras. Sleep, yeah, right. Uh, A bunch of right, rich white Anglo-Saxon Protestants in uptown New Orleans started a French holiday. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is anything wrong with this version <laughs> of history? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what we talk about. And up until when that happened. The what Mardi Gras was, was a lot of it was based in neighborhoods. You know, the Mardi, the Indians are really only a relic of what represented what Mardi Gras used to truly be, which is like everybody in your block would agree on a costume. You would dress as that thing, and then you would go to all the different wards in the city. And show off. And show off, right. just like the Indians do. The Indians are just the only ones that are left that are doing that. Yeah. But... The, the, that's what Mardi Gras used to be before the old line cruise. Right and even in the newspaper, they would announce a place. Hey, man, we're all meeting at Lafayette Square. Everybody go there. And then we're going to have a ramble after that. Mm-hmm. And there'd be no announced route or anything. Right. And that's what Mardi Gras was. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's still what Mardi Gras is. Yeah, man. It's yeah. It's, we've almost had a resurgence of that in the last 20 years. I, I think so. I think so. And when you see something like the crew of St. Anne, mm-hmm. you yes. know, or even the irreverence of crew de Vue, Right. It's a throwback. That's the old yes. carnival. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's very cool, man. No, not the guy you got your mortgage from that belongs to the Boston Club right. who will maybe throw you a beard yeah. if he sees you. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah, fuck those people. It's right. Presley. Presley, I'm here in the back. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> 
Well, you know, God, John, you've been so informative. It's so it's so great to see you after all these years, and and uh, you know, you're, you've done so well, and and you know, you really have have such an expertise about all this, uh, you know, New Orleans esoterica, and and. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. Yes. Dude, thank I will you. let you know. Thank you for having me. Yeah. But I will tell you, I did all that because I knew that I would never contribute to music as a musician. And it irked me, but I knew I could write and shoot pictures. Fuck yeah, man. And that's what I tried to do. God bless Excellent. you, man. And uh, I took myself out of the game, took myself out of performing arts, but I have a reverence for it. I have a spiritual love for the music that emanates from the city, from the places that you and I know and love, from Benny's to Jimmy's to, you know, every all the places, all the haunts and every right. hole that the music emanates Benny's from. That's the Jimmy's soul of our city. Like pills I used to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unrelated, but... Uh, yeah. There was a time if you went to Benny's, you yeah, might need yeah. a pill afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can get almost anything at Benny's. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. You get crack over there. Except, yeah. a whole, uh, except a wall for the bathroom. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, We won't get into the Benny's bathroom. I repaired that on more than one gig. But uh, I used to bring my own parts from home just to show them that it could be done. Anyway, uh... Uh, Manny, have any closing notes? Any, no, any I'm, I'm happy to leave right now. Okay, so, well, uh, uh, you know, in the Trouble Men podcast, John, we like to say trouble never ends. But it, the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.